Greetings, everyone, and welcome to our Berean Bible Church podcast. This message is a part of our Relationship Rich series. Thanks for joining us. I am so glad that eight out of every four pastors recommend this series. That's fantastic. Good morning. Really good to see you this morning. Anyone happy it's the start of football season? Do we have any football fans? I, I noticed, by the way, there's 32 teams in the NFL. There's one team who has a win so far this season. Anybody know? Sorry, I won't, I won't mention their names. Some of you are going to be sick of the Buffalo Bills. Oh. All right, all right, enough of that, enough of that. Um, First of all, just real quick, you've heard already this morning, we have a, a chunk of our church family here at Green that have moved down the road about 25 minutes this morning. They're at Regal Theaters in Binghamton. They're going to worship God this morning down there. And yes. And I just want to say a special thank you, especially here at Green, because you keep investing in new communities, and you are so unselfishly doing that. So thank you for giving, for investing, for being generous with your resources, with your, with your volunteers and staff here. It's not easy to keep launching groups of people away from here, but we think that the mission is important enough, and there's still more people that don't know Jesus. And until he comes back, we're going to do our best to keep spreading the good news. Amen? Amen. All right. So... Let me take a quick poll. You know I like polls, and I like to kind of read the room. So here's a poll. Who here wants to be a millionaire? I know it's church, but you can be honest. Okay, okay. Some of you, some of you. So I actually have in my back pocket. No. Um, let me ask a second question. Who here wants to be relationally rich? Let me see your hand. Okay. All right. Far more of you want that than a million bucks. That's cool. That's awesome. Well, here's the deal. Here's the deal with that. I think most people don't really understand what that means. I know it's new for me. I, that, that phrase, relationship rich, is kind of a newer phrase that I'm still trying to figure out. But it's definitely something I long for and aspire to and want. I think most people want to feel like they belong and like they're accepted and like they have deep relationships. But if we're honest with ourselves, there's some things that hinder us from being that. And, and I just started making a list of all the things that hinders me, and maybe you, from, from having really deep, really strong friend circles. And it's this. My personality at times, my selfishness, the culture that I live in, my schedule, work, tiredness, at times, mistrust, cynicism, and the list keeps going. Anyone relate to any of that stuff? And here's what's funny. You add in the last two years. When we talk about relationships, we can't ignore what we've just come through. The last two years and the upheaval, right? Two years plus ago, we were shut down as a country. We were isolated. And so relationships had to change or they died and then on top of that, you had a, a massive uh, polarizing election cycle. You remember that? We're, we're coming into a new one. That's going to be fun. <laughs> and, and then add in a racial debate, and, and you add in major protests and even rioting. And some people got 
so emotionally exhausted that they don't even like people anymore. Right? Because even though we've come through it, we're on the other end, we made it, I think some of us have changed. There's a new level of mistrust. There's a new level of cynicism. There's a new level of, I just don't even want to be with people anymore. And some people are, are literally in a low-grade relational burnout. And so that's why we're really focusing on this this fall, is how do we do relationships, maybe not the way we used to, but how do we do them better? How do we do them well? Because you know what? You have a God who created you to be a relational being. And if you try to live in isolation, I guarantee you, you will not experience the best God has for you. And here's the problem. We live in a culture that doesn't understand this. Our culture has been heading towards relational poverty for years. COVID just kind of accelerated it, but we live in a very isolating culture. And, and I have three pictures to kind of demonstrate the slide we've been on as a culture in the last few generations. Picture number one, what do you call this? Some of you have no experience with this, but this is a front porch. Now, some of you who have more gray hair than me remember when this was the norm, okay? Now, if you would take a walk in your neighborhood a couple generations ago, and you saw a neighbor on the front porch, what was that telling you? It was an invitation for you to go up on the front porch, find a seat, grab a drink, and talk, like, like in person, face-to-face. -face. <laughs> Some of you are like, what? You wouldn't sit there and text each other? No. <laughs> You'd actually talk. So is this a little bit odd to some of you, like my age, younger? It, this is strange. This is odd, like an open invitation. So you literally would sit on your front porch, and you'd have these friendships with people as they're walking by, walking their dogs, they'd come up, and you'd just share your porch with your neighbors. I remember out in Indianapolis training uh, at a training school, and, and we would walk different blocks as part of the training to reach people, and it was one of those older neighborhoods, and so it was front porches everywhere. And as a total stranger from Buffalo, New York, I would go up on front porches of people in Indianapolis that I had never met before and sit down, and we'd talk about Jesus. And we talk about the weather, and we talk about football. Imagine that. But front porches, right? So here's what happened, though. Our front porch is still a significant feature of homes today. Not most, not most. The porch moved where? It moved to the back. Yes. And so here's what happened. Here's the shift that happened. There's still relationships that happen on a back porch or on a deck but it's invitation only. If you try walking through your neighborhood and being like, I think they have a back deck. Let's go see if they're hanging out. <laughs> you may need a funeral because they shoot the intruder walking in their backyard. It changed, it shifted. So there's still this desire for connection, but it's invitation only. And this is the generation that had the remote control door opener on their garages. And so you slide into your garage, you close the door, you don't have to interact with your weird neighbors, 
and then you invite who you want to be on your back porch or back deck. And so the, the desire for privacy began to trump the desire for community. Now, newer homes or remodeled homes are shifting even more. And rather than porches being a main feature, you know what is a pretty predominant feature for most construction now? It's the man cave or the media room. And it's usually a lower level or it's a spare room and it's turned into a media room. And this is where at the end of a long day when you're tired, you sit down with your best friend, Hulu or Amazon or Netflix, and you chill with your favorite drink in front of a screen. And what happened, I mean, it was this slow progression, but we now spend more time with our friends that have screens, right? These devices and our TVs have become our friends, and we wonder why we're relationally impoverished. Because we're the culture that gave up front porches. And we're the culture that might have a back deck, but we don't tend to use them a whole lot anymore. Because we're vegging in front of our screens. And this is just the natural progression of our culture. And so those of us that say, hey, I'm relationally impoverished, or, or I'm just not fully relationally rich and I want this, you're fighting against a really strong current in the culture. So if you're dealing with COVID relational anxiety paralysis, the, the prescription for that today is a strong dose of friendship. Eight out of every four doctors recommend that. Strong dose of friendship. And today we're going to look at who I consider the best friend in the entire Bible. His example of friendship has inspired people for thousands of years, myself included, and it changed the course of history fairly significantly. He made two choices that allowed him to develop a friendship that was deeper than almost any relationship we've read anywhere else in the Bible. Does anyone know who we're talking about? You may not, because this guy didn't become famous. The guy he became friends with became famous. So, if you would turn to 1 Samuel chapter 18. 1 Samuel chapter 18. This is one chapter after this young shepherd boy, David, not tall, not distinguished, but given an extra dose of courage, he takes a sling and a stone and he slays the giant Goliath. This is right after the Goliath story. There's this other story that develops that maybe you've never studied or looked at before. But it's fascinating. Um, so chapter 18 is where we're going to be. Page 240 in your chair Bible. And by the way, if you would like a Bible, take that home as our, as, as our gift to you. 1 Samuel 18. Here we go. Chapter 18, verse 1. After David had finished talking with Saul, now Saul is the king, he met, what's the name that you see? Jonathan, the king's son. There was an immediate bond between them, for Jonathan loved David. 
From that day on, Saul kept David with him and wouldn't let him return home. And Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as he loved himself. Jonathan sealed the pact by taking off his robe and giving it to David together with his tunic, sword, bow, and belt. He's giving away some of his royal stuff. Whatever Saul asked David to do, David did it successfully. So Saul made him a commander over the men of war, an appointment that was welcomed by the people and Saul's officers alike. Now what you see here is the start of a friendship between the hero, the giant killer David, and the king's son, Prince Jonathan. When you read this story and you read how much Jonathan loved David and how close they became, there's people, I just want you to know this, there are people that interpret this that the two guys had an immoral relationship. And just that people would go there is proof how relationally impoverished we are. That we struggle to understand how two guys could become this close. Now, women tend to call these relationships or friendships, they call them besties. Right, I'm gonna go hang out with my bestie. I don't think I've ever heard a guy say that. Um, guys tend to make jokes about like it's a bromance, right, or, or something like that. It's just, just going to be with a friend. But, but there's more than just a, a, a friendship here. There's, this, there's these phrases that you see in the story. He said there was an immediate bond. I think Jonathan, after he saw what David did, felt this instant connection to him. He felt this admiration and respect for this young shepherd teenager perhaps or young man who had just killed this giant he really admired him he really respected him and he loved him as he loved himself and so the very first choice that you see Jonathan making in regards to his new friend is that he chose this thing called unconditional love and this is the first secret of true friendship. This is kind of the secret sauce that if this is missing in a friendship, then you probably have one of those friendships where you gotta walk on eggshells a little bit. You gotta be careful what you say and do because you don't know if that person's gonna be offended or still, become, still be your friend. But what Jonathan chose for David was unconditional love. He loved him as he loved himself. This was not a friendship of convenience. It was actually quite the opposite, and we're going to see that. Prince Jonathan should have felt highly intimidated and threatened by David. Because here David is, this hero that all the people start admiring, who's given a pretty significant appointment in the military. But what Jonathan does next, rather than pushing him away, feeling threatened, what Jonathan does next is he makes, verse 4, a pact. Now, now, this wasn't quite like the blood brother type thing. But this was this pact, this vow of friendship. Right? And he just, he, he makes this pact. And what he's choosing here is he's saying to David, I'm going to be unwaveringly loyal to you. I am going to love you unconditionally. And I am not going to walk away from you. I'm not going to betray you. I'm not going to be disloyal to you. After Jonathan makes these two choices to David, how do you think David felt when he was in Jonathan's presence? Do you feel like he had to put on an act? 
I mean, he could just be himself because Jonathan's already committed. I am gonna commit myself to you in this friendship. I am not gonna ever be disloyal to you. Let me just put it this way. If you're looking for a friend, look for a Jonathan. Look for the type of person who can be unconditionally loving and unwaveringly loyal. That's a great friend. Let me, let me maybe go for, further than that. More than maybe looking for a Jonathan, look to be a Jonathan. Our world needs more people like this. More people who can just look at people and say, I accept you just as you are. I will be fully committed to our relationship and I'm not walking away no matter what comes. Just curious, have you ever had a friend like Jonathan? Anybody? Those are the kind of friends that make life really rich. So, if you become a Jonathan, you'll never lack true friends. Look what happens in their relationship, their friendship. Chapter 19. Uh, just going to walk through a little bit of their story here, and we'll, and we'll make some observations. Chapter 19. Saul is the king. He now urged his servants and his son Jonathan to assassinate David. Now, you might be wondering, did we just skip something? Yeah, we did. Uh, <laughs> let me tell you what we just skipped. Saul, the king, is very suspicious of David. Feels like David's going to take his throne, and he gets highly paranoid. Jonathan is nothing like his dad. So in his pursuit of guarding his throne, he tries to assassinate David, but Jonathan, because of his strong affection for David, remember, he's made a pact, a vow of friendship. He told him what his father was planning. Tomorrow morning, he warned him, you must find a hiding place out in the fields. I'll ask my father to go out there with me, and I'll talk to him about you. Then I'll tell you everything I can find out. The next morning, Jonathan spoke with his father about David, saying many good things about him. The king must not sin against his servant David, Jonathan said. He's never done anything to harm you. He has always helped you in any way he could. Have you forgotten about the time he risked his life to kill the Philistine giant and how the Lord brought a great victory to all Israel as a result? You were certainly happy about it then, <laughs> Dad. Why should you murder an innocent man like David? There is no reason for it at all. So Jonathan listened I'm sorry, so Saul listened to Jonathan and vowed, as surely as the Lord lives, David will not be killed. So here you get this friend Jonathan who goes to bat for David and persuades his dad, the king, that David's a really good guy, that David's not a guy he should try to be getting rid of. We all need friends like this. If your friends are people that you're worried about what they're saying when you're not in the room, they're not a friend like Jonathan. Because Jonathan was that guy behind the scenes. He was talking good about his friend. He was guarding and protecting his friend. Skip forward a little bit to chapter 20. There's more to this story. It gets fairly interesting, I might add. Chapter 20, verse 1. David now fled from Naoth in Ramah and found Jonathan. Because Saul tried to 
keep assassinating him. It's this cat and mouse game. He's like, what have I done? He exclaimed, what's my crime? How have I offended your father that he is so determined to kill me? That's not true, Jonathan protested. He's like, there's no way my dad's trying to kill you. You're not going to die. He always tells me everything he's gonna do, even the little things. I know my father wouldn't hide something like this from me. It just isn't so. Jonathan's like, I can't imagine that my dad's trying to kill you behind my back. Then David took an oath before Jonathan and said, your father knows perfectly well about our friendship. So he has said to himself, I won't tell Jonathan, why should I hurt him? But I swear to you that I am only a step away from death. I swear it by the Lord and by your own soul. Jonathan's response here, rather than being in denial, rather than saying my dad would never do that, he listens to his best friend. And his response is very simply this. Tell me what I can do to help you. I want you to do me a favor. Turn, turn to the person next to you. I'm just going to have you practice this. Turn to the person next to you and say, tell me. Let's try this again. That was pretty lousy. <laughs> say, tell me what I can do to help you. Now, don't tell them. Not yet. But wouldn't it be cool to have a friend or two or three in your life that that's how they approached you? Like, hey, good to see you. Tell me what I can do today to help you. Would anybody else kill for that kind of friend? Uh, not kill. <laughs> Would anyone else like a friend like that? Some of you have that, and it's awesome. Tell me what I can do to help you. Remember, he chose unconditional love and unwavering loyalty. His friend's stuck in a bad place, and he just says, tell me what I can do to help you. He doesn't offer advice. He doesn't argue with him. He doesn't have him call Dr. Laura. He, he said, tell me what I can do to help you. I'm telling you what, this is the kind of friend that you and I want. This is the type of friend that you and I should aspire to be. Tell me what I can do to help you. I would, I would tell you, like, circle that verse. If you're looking to be a better friend, circle that verse and try that phrase out. Try it out. Tell me what I can do to help you. So David tells him, and he does it. What happens next is a little bit tense. Uh, if, you, if you go to verse 30, you're going to find out how the king responds to this friendship. Saul, Jonathan's dad, boiled with rage at Jonathan. This is chapter 20, verse 30. What he says next is, is horrendous. I can't imagine a dad saying this to their son. He says, you stupid son of a whore. Yeah. Imagine that, right? What a friend. What a friend. Knowing his dad would be infuriated by this friendship, he will not be disloyal to David. And here's what his dad yells at him, right? Do you think that I don't know that you want him to be king in your place, shaming yourself and your mother, as long as that son of Jesse is alive? Can't even say his name. As long as that son of Jesse is alive, you'll never be king. Now go and get him so I can kill him. 
But why should he be put to death, Jonathan asked his father. What has he done? Then Saul hurled his spear at Jonathan, intending to kill him. So at last, Jonathan realized that his father was really determined to kill David. Saul was never nominated for father of the year, just in case you wondered. So poor Jonathan is stuck. He's stuck as the prince, the the king in waiting, basically. He's supposed to ascend to the throne when his dad dies, and yet there's this guy he's close friend with, and he thinks David's gonna be a much better king than him. And he's kind of given up the right to the throne. He's like, if God wants David, then I want David. I'm just gonna be a loyal friend to David no matter what it costs me, even if it costs me the throne. And his dad sees that, and he's like, you coward, you fool, You're willing to give up your throne for the sake of this friend? Yeah, Dad. Yeah, I am. Look at verse 41. Jonathan then gives a message to David that his dad is genuinely going to try to kill him again. And as soon as the boy was gone, that was a little message they were sending. They did this little thing with uh, bows and arrows. David came out from where he had been hiding near the stone pile. Then David bowed three times to Jonathan with his face to the ground. Now, now this isn't something we do in our culture, and if you have a best friend, you may not want to bow with your face down to the ground three times. But, But this was just this act of, man, I owe you my life. Like, I owe you my life. Thank you for being such a good friend. Both of them were in tears as they embraced each other and said goodbye, especially David. At last, Jonathan said to David, go in peace, for we have sworn loyalty to each other in the Lord's name. The Lord is the witness of a bond between us and our children forever. Then David left, and Jonathan returned to the town. Their paths are never going to cross again, and they know that. What happens next is Jonathan dies in a battle along with Saul. David gets news of this and he's destroyed emotionally to lose his best friend. His response, he was was pretty creative and musical. His response was to write a song and that song was to be sung by the entire kingdom because he indeed was the next king. So one of his first acts as he takes the throne is to write a song about his best friend and tell his whole country to sing it. I want you to see that song. So flip forward a few pages to uh, 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 1. Second Samuel chapter 1. Verse 17. So as you, as you think of the, the transfer right now of the throne in, in the United Kingdom, you kind of can get a feel for what's going on. The throne is about to transfer from Saul. It's skipping Jonathan and the family of Saul completely, going over to David. David composed a funeral song for Saul and Jonathan, and he commanded that it be taught to the people of Judah. It's known as the Song of the Bow, and it's recorded in the book of Jashar. Your pride and joy, O Israel, lies dead on the hills. Oh, how the mighty heroes have fallen. That's the chorus. Oh, how the mighty heroes have fallen. Skip to verse 23. How beloved and gracious were Saul and Jonathan, 
Okay, now by the way, I don't think Saul was that beloved or gracious. Based on what you just saw, I think you'd agree with that. But he was his best friend's dad. And David was gonna be loyal and speak only good about his best friend's dad. How beloved and gracious were Saul and Jonathan. They were together in life and in death. They were swifter than eagles, stronger than lions. Look at verse 25. Oh, how the mighty heroes have fallen in battle. There's the chorus. Jonathan lies dead on the hills. How I weep for you, my brother Jonathan. Oh, how much I loved you. And your love for me was deep. Deeper than the love of women. Now, people make jokes about that. People misunderstand that. There's nothing shameful there. There's nothing scandalous there. David was saying he had found a friend who was closer and better than even his wife. And that friend was Jonathan. And Jonathan, throughout David's life, was unconditionally loving and unwaveringly loyal. And because of his friendship, David survived to one day become king. Something interesting happened after Jonathan's death. David became king. Jonathan had a son with special needs, a disabled boy. David took him in and basically adopted him as part of his family. And it was just this really cool exchange of loyalty where David's like, you have been loyal to me my whole life, so in death, I will be loyal to your family and I will care for your disabled son as if he was my own. So when you read about the sons of David, Solomon is the most famous who becomes the next king. Solomon grows up with his dad's best friend's son. And Solomon gets to see what friendship, real friendship, looks like. Because not only did he hear the stories of his dad and Jonathan, not only did he hear the, the song that all his nation was taught to sing about Jonathan, but he grew up with this kid named Jonathan's son. And one day, Samuel, Solomon sat down and he wrote about friendship, and this is one of the things he wrote. There are friends who destroy each other, but a real friend sticks closer than a brother. Solomon learned about friendship from Jonathan. Now, here's what's kind of cool. A thousand years after this, from the family of David would come a Jonathan-like person. And that Jonathan-like person, when he started to talk, talked a lot like Jonathan. A thousand years later. And rather than me telling you what he said, I want you to see what this family member from the line of David said about love and loyalty and friendship. Turn with me to John chapter 15, page 868. This is the last place I'm going to have you turn this morning. John chapter 15. I just think this is fascinating. John 15. Look at verse 9. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. 
Anyone know who, who, who's talking right here? This is Jesus from the family of David. When, when you obey my commandments, verse 10, you remain in my love just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so you'll be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. Jesus, at this point, is in his 30s. He says, you've seen how You've seen how I do relationships. You've seen how I do friendships. You've seen how I've treated my brothers and my mom. You've seen how I've treated my friends and my enemies. And the way that you've seen me do relationships and the way that you've seen me treat other people, you do that. And then he says this. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Now, it's really cool to think about Jesus saying that, knowing that back in the day, a thousand years before this, David had a best friend who laid his throne down and laid his life down for his friend. And Jesus kind of takes that and says it in a way that wasn't just looking back but was looking forward because what Jesus was about to do was to lay down his life for his friends. Verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command. Listen, around here, we, we use the phrase Jesus follower, and that's what we're talking about. You do what God commands. You follow Jesus. If you are a Jesus follower, do you know what that makes you in relation to Jesus? You are his friend. You're his friend. And, and he goes on to explain it. He says, I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I invited you to my porch. I invited you to my back deck. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so the Father will give you whatever you ask using my name. This is my command. Love each other. No greater love than that a man lays down his life for his friends. Jonathan did that for David. Jesus did that for you. And Jesus now says to you, go and do that for others. Go and do that for others. So you're like, so do I have to die to do this friendship thing? You know what's even harder than dying is living. Right? Sacrificing time, sacrificing opinions, sacrificing our mistrust and our cynicism of people. I think it's easier to tell someone I take a bullet for you than to tell someone, tell me what I can do to help you. Because they just may tell us, and that might require something of us. See, these two choices that Jonathan made to be unconditionally loving and unwaveringly loyal. They aren't just the secrets of friendship. They are literally the secrets to being relationship rich. And what Jesus tells us right here is he desires us, you, to become relationship rich.
He wants you to be in relationships where you unconditionally love that circle of friends or friend and where they love you. No conditions, no limits or tests to that loyalty. And that is what Jesus wants for you and I. Now, let me give a few caveats here just so we don't mess this up. Not all friendships are gonna be as close as David and Jonathan. And if you try to push a friend there that's not that type of friend, it's not gonna go well. So it's not important that you have a bunch of Jonathans, but it is important that you have at least one. And the best way to get a Jonathan-type friend is to be a Jonathan-type friend. See, I used to think, yeah, I've got a lot of friends, right? But what I didn't realize until life hit and things kind of got messy in my life is it's one thing to have like casual friends, it's another thing to have a friend like Jonathan who, who, who will lean into your mess and walk through the mess and help you through the mess. And I had to completely change my thinking about friendship because I realized I had been a lousy friend. That's why I didn't have those deep friendships. I had not been a Jonathan-type friend. And so if you say, Justin, I, I don't know what you're talking about. You should see my Facebook. I have hundreds of friends. I want to tell you, do you have your Jonathan? Do you have your Jonathan? Because people that have a Jonathan aren't relationally impoverished. Here's what's interesting. You can't get that Jonathan without spending time with people. So, so this rises above if you're an introvert or extrovert, right? Because some people are like, I'm an introvert, I recharge alone. Well, that's great. Recharge alone, but you can't make a friend alone. Well, if you do, I'd like to know how you do it. You've got to spend time with people. Here's what's fascinating. Jesus, the one who said this, talked about love and friendship. How many friends did Jesus have? How many, how many let, let me clarify, how many Jonathan-type friends did Jesus have? Now, he had 12 guys who were his circle, but out of that 12, he had three who were his inner circle, his close friends, Peter, James, and John. And Jesus went on, like, guy trips with those three guys. And he spent alone time with those three guys. For much of my life, I resisted those types of friendships and circles because you can't show favoritism, and that's more of a clicky thing, until I realized just how much I was missing out. Just how much I was missing out relationally, because I wouldn't do that. God wants us to experience relational wealth and that happens by being a true friend. Now, here's one other caveat I want to add if you are on a friendship pursuit. The only way you can get a friend like Jonathan is to be a friend like Jonathan. But to be a friend like Jonathan, 
you need a friend like Jesus. You follow that? Jesus is the one who is unconditionally loving and unwaveringly loyal, and when he's in your corner, you can be secure, you can have the acceptance you need, and you cannot force that on someone else to give it to you. When you have a close friend like Jesus, when you have Jesus as your very best friend, he will give you what you need emotionally so you can then enter into these Jonathan David-like friendships and have them be healthy. The healthiest friendships are the ones where you don't say, I need you. It's the ones where you say, I want you. I want to spend time with you. So, how do we do this? How do we become relationally rich? Here's one way that Berean tries to help us do this. In a culture that's either back deck or media room, in a culture that's isolated and relationally impoverished, here's how we try to help Jesus' followers become relationship rich. Rick mentioned this last week. I'm going to say it again. We don't schedule almost anything during the week at church. Have you noticed that? Some of you who are newer, you looked for all the events during the week and you can't find them because we, by and large, don't have them. You know why? Because we prefer to be really boring and keep this place locked up all week. No, because we want you to be freed up to develop relationships because they matter. They are the, not just the spice of life. Relationships are what you've been wired for. So we intentionally have a free schedule for almost the entire week and have no expectation that you're here every time the doors are open so that you can be in a small group of people every week having food together, talking together, laughing together, maybe you arguing with each other, that's part of relationships, debating, whatever. And so for us, we do what's called connect groups. And in the month of September every year, we take time to encourage you to get in a group. Now, we don't expect that you're going to go into that group of 12 people or so and find 12 best friends. If that's you, you might have gone too deep too quick with too many people. Okay? But maybe in that group of 12 people, or however many it is, about 12, maybe in that group you'll find your one, like David did, or your three, like Jesus did. And that is our hope and our desire for you. Because you have an enemy, Satan, who walks around like a roaring lion, and what he wants to do is he wants to steal, kill, and devour. And the way that he's doing a really good job in our country right now is isolating us from each other. And we just say as a church, no more. We want our church family to be relationally rich. We want you to be a relational millionaire. And that's doable. And I'm still new at this thing. I'm still learning friendships, but I'm telling you, I have never felt more relationally rich. And it's life-changing to have friends like Jonathan. And so if you already have that, like, that's awesome. I admire you. I want to learn from you because I'm new at this thing. But if you're like I was a few years ago and you're just trying to figure this thing out, well, then maybe your first step Maybe your next step is just getting into a group and getting to spend time with people every week. And maybe in that group, you'll find someone like Jonathan. So as we head out today in a moment, you're gonna get a connect group flyer. It's gonna give you a bunch of different options. 
and I encourage you, like, look at those options, find one that fits your schedule. If there's none that fit your schedule, you're too busy. Change your schedule if you can. And, and, and one evening a week, get in a home with some other Jesus followers. Spend some time and be a friend. Uh, you can also go online, those of you watching online, you can, you can go to our website, to our groups page. You can browse groups. In fact, when you do that, you're gonna find lists like this uh, of different groups, and you can email the leader and ask if they have room for you um, and if you can visit their group. And don't be afraid to visit some groups and see if it's a good group. It may not be. Uh, you may get into a group with all Giants fans. Leave that group. <laughs> that is not a Christian group. <laughs> now I'm in trouble. I'm back to no friends. I need a friend. In a moment, we're going to sing a song in closing, and it's called Graves in the Gardens. And there's a, the reason we're singing it at the end is there's a lyric that fits with what we've just learned. And it says this, I'm not afraid to show you my weakness. That's, that's a friend, right? I'm not afraid to show you my weakness, my failures and flaws. Lord, you've seen them all, and you still call me friend. That is the type of friend Jesus is. He knows all of your baggage. He knows all of your struggle and weakness. And you know what? He still likes you. And he is still unconditionally devoted to you. That's a friend. And when you have a friend like Jesus, you can be a friend like Jonathan. Because our world is desperately in need of more friends like Jonathan. Would you bow with me? I'm going to pray in just a moment. Rather than me talking right now, I just want to leave space. Processing space. Just take an inventory of your life, your relationships. Are you relationship rich? If you are, thank God. Like, just spend a few minutes and thank God right now for your friendships. But if you're like the average person in America, you're, you're, you're probably not. And so just begin thinking, who's out there? Who do you maybe know already? Who you can be a Jonathan to. That's a better place to start than finding a Jonathan. Who can you be a Jonathan to? And if you're not in a, in a small group this fall, I encourage you, get in one. I'm, I'm starting a new one. There's, there's many new ones. There's many where they're restarting. Get in a group and look for someone that you can be a Jonathan to. So I'm just going to give you a minute or two to have that quiet processing inventory time with God.
Heavenly Father, thank you for friends like Jonathan. Help me to become a friend like Jonathan. Thank you for being our friend. God, we love you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.